I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. of antibiotic resistance and the threat of emerging viral pathogens have created global public health threats. Recce Pharmaceuticals is developing a new class of synthetic anti-infectives that it says can overcome the hypercellular mutation of bacteria and viruses. What's more, the company says their potency doesn't diminish even with repeated use. We spoke to James Graham, CEO of Recce, about its synthetic anti-infectives, how they work, and why they can be used repeatedly against a broad range of bacteria and viruses. James, thanks for joining us. Hi, Danny. Good to be with you. We're going to talk about resistant superbugs, Recce, and its efforts to develop a new class of synthetic anti-infectives. Let's start with the problem Recky's trying to address. How big a concern is the threat of superbugs today? Yes, the, the threat of superbugs is enormous. In fact, it's, it's uh, projected to reach 10 million people by way of antibiotic-resistant infections, being infections that are no longer responsive to existing antibiotics, of around 10 million people a year by 2050. You know, I remember the days of going to the doctor and getting one prescription for a basic infection. They'd say, take that and you'll get better. Now, say 10 years later, it's take that and take the follow-on repeats to overcome that same uh, infection. So the bacteria are mutating and the antibiotics are simply not keeping up. There was a big move away from antibiotic development among large pharmaceutical companies about 30 years ago, in part because of the concern that The development of resistance would make it difficult to recoup investment in antibiotics. More recently, we've seen a number of companies such as Recce step up to address the need. Where are we today in terms of bringing new anti-infectives to market and building a robust pipeline? Yeah, look, the the anti-infective pipeline has never been drier. The need has never been greater. In fact, there hasn't been a new class of antibiotics in over 30 years, some might even say 40 years. And really companies are are beginning with the end in mind by designing a compound uh, rather than uh, what's otherwise found in nature to overcome that natural cycle of antibiotic resistance. So at this stage, in fact, uh, Recce Pharmaceuticals is the only clinical stage uh, new class of antibiotic and, and it is the only clinical stage uh, sepsis drug candidate in the world at this time. So it really does give uh, an indication of hope uh, in the fight against these deadly superbugs. We've seen a number of steps taken that are intended to incentivize the development of new antibiotics, such as the GAIN Act. How helpful have these been and does more need to be done? Look, they, they have been instrumental in... Uh, Uh, supporting and encouraging the development of new antibiotics. 
under the GAIN Act, uh, which stands for, of course, GAIN Generating Antibiotic Initiatives Now Act, uh, it, we were actually awarded what's called a Qualified Infectious Disease Designation or a QIDP status. And what that does is it motivates us, the drug uh, developer, um, to give us uh, 10 years of market exclusivity post-approval. So we've got a wonderful patent portfolio out to 2037, 39, whatever the exactness was. But patents can be challenged. Patents can fall over. 10 years of government market exclusivity in the United States, backed by federal law as that provides, is a really um, a valuable uh, in incentive to, to continue to develop, knowing that that 10 years only starts from time of approval. Furthermore, for each data submission we make with the FDA, which we've made a, a series of them now, they have a 30-day a window to review, consider and respond. I mean, gone are the days of waiting for, you know, say a year or two and a, and a big expensive check just to get their attention. 30 days, they come back and they come back with uh, a positive uh, uh, response, not only as to what they see, but what they would like to see next. So I really do see between regulator and innovative drug companies a, a, a sign of new hope in the fight against superbugs. We've talked about bacterial infections, but We've also seen the challenges of managing an outbreak of an emerging virus with the experience we've had with COVID-19. What are the challenges and opportunities around emerging viral pathogens? Look, I, I think we're clearly, it, you know, we're an infectious disease company in the midst of a global infectious disease crisis. Uh, the challenge of uh, the viral pathogens, of course, here we, we refer to obviously COVID in recent times, is the, the long-term symptoms uh, the, the depressive um, or, or immunosuppressant uh, type of either from the infection or treating the infections uh, as they had taken place has a significant burden on the patient population. And obviously, as you lower the immune system, you increase the probability or the prevalence of uh, otherwise quite normal healthy bacteria spreading out of control and becoming a deadly infection. So I really see as uh, these viral pathogens or really any emerging health threat, be it viral, bacterial or otherwise, um, having uh, or, or reiterating the importance of the value of new medicine and the importance uh, of the challenge of these hypercellularly mutating antibiotic resistant or antiviral superbugs. Recky is developing a class of synthetic anti-infectives. What are these and, and how do they work? We are 100% synthetic. And in fact, to, as far as Pew Charitable Trust's antibiotic development pipeline goes, we're the only clinical stage uh, uh, synthetic antibiotic in the world. What that really means is beginning with the end in mind. Uh, uh, the inventor of Recce uh, anti-infectives was former head of Johnson & Johnson Research of, a, of uh, Australasia of 10 years and executive director of their board. And what he really did is he looked to the challenge of antibiotic resistance, the continuous mutation of uh, cells and the non-ability for uh, existing drugs to evolve and keep up with those mutations. So he engineered a compound or compounds with molecular specificity that enhances the binding of a chosen ligand and opens the possibility for compounds to target bacterial um, cell energetics, uh, Z-ring co complexes, uh, the uh, uh, metabolic processes and pressures that occur within them, 
shutting down effectively the power plant, the lifeblood, the existence of these otherwise viable uh, spreading bacterial cells. So with multiple mechanisms of action, we're coming into the fight, the fight of antibiotic resistance with a, an arsenal of attack rather than just a couple of uh, uh, mechanisms to go, go against these evolving bacteria. How do these differ from more conventional approaches of treating bacterial or viral infections? Well, they, they differ in the ability that when focused, by example, uh, for indication of sepsis, uh, septicemia or blood poisoning, any bacteria in your blood is bad bacteria. Currently, as, as the unmet medical need is, there's no uh, drug specifically approved to treat this. They do a pathology blood draw. They rush it off to the lab. They cultivate out that blood. And they're trying to work out, one, what type of bacteria that patient has, and two, what type of antibiotic that bacteria, hopefully, is susceptible to. So this is designed to not discern between gram-positive, gram-negative, or hypercellular mutated superbugs. It re-empowers the clinicians to administer on patient presentation with confidence that they can, or the, the compound will be attracted to, bind to, and interact with whatever type of offending or, or uh, infecting bacteria that patient has. The faster you're on top of the infection, the better the patient outcome. It's not just not to suggest that, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're going to take over the market, we're going to own everything. No, we're, we're going to get on top of that infection quickly. And perhaps uh, for whatever reason, if the clinicians wish to use a more specific antibiotic down the treatment track of that patient, they have time to do it because every hour left untreated, the likelihood of survival decreases by 8% each hour, and you've just got to stop that infection in its tracks. So with uh, that, that design and that in intent in mind, our compound has been created. And of course, synthetics instead of cultivation, great uh, efficiencies of, of economies of scale, fantastic reproducibility, no expensive or toxic waste. It's a pretty attractive space from the uh, economic side of things. What's known about the risk of seeing resistance develop against these new types of therapies? The importance and the challenge really of affecting the broken business model and the failing antibiotics as, as we know it is the uh, inability for existing antibiotics to work and keep on working with repeated use. One of our granted patents, by example, uh, is is the claim that we are able to have multiple exposures. I think in the case of this one, we did, I don't know, 20 or 50 exposures, and we work on the same concentration in the same time, regardless of the bacterial species and with repeated use. I think amoxicillin that we compared against, depending on the different type of bacteria, lasted no longer than eight cycles of exposure. So when we look to our various mechanisms, uh, they, bacteria need ATP production or their beating heart to, to power their existence. We shut that down and shut that down irreversibly. They need the Z-ring complex to divide and, and multiply. We shut that down and shut that down irreversibly. And, and they are, we're not susceptible to biofilm um, or other uh, lipid outer layers that the bacteria uh, otherwise put up as a defence. So each and every... Uh, mechanism of defense from the bacterial's survival perspective is overcome. And hey, if we lose in, in one area, we're, we're going to beat them in another. So I'd say we're, uh, we're looking pretty good for the ability to keep on working with repeated use. 
Recky is developing R327 to address bacterial infections. What is R327 and how broad a set of pathogens is it expected to be able to work against? Hey, look, for a bit of fun, uh, R327 is obviously Recky. Three being scientific uh, invention journal number three, page 27. So it took a lot of experimentation. (laughs) These breakthroughs don't just happen overnight. But only once this discovery was made, and like I said, it it was not just a eureka moment. It it was an evolution of a traditional discovery uh, pathway. This compound uh, was identified with the characteristics that overcome escape pathogens. So escape pathogens uh, is the acronym uh, for really the the sixth sixth deadliest uh, bacterial species. I think they're responsible for something like 60% of all uh, septic infections. And as far as I know, in fact, we're we're actually the only clinical stage antibiotic uh, in the world that has that capability, not only against the regular forms of those escape pathogens, but the drug-resistant forms as well. So what we're, we're doing is we have two clinical programs. We've got a, a dose escalation uh, safety intravenous infusion program. We've demonstrated to be safe and well tolerated. Uh, at uh, Currently, it's up to 4,000 grams uh, intravenously infused over an hour. And in parallel, we've got a phase one, phase two topic on vulnerable burn wound patients. What's the development path forward? Really, we're following the traditional IND-enabling studies. Uh, We we have these two clinical programs uh, in Australia, but they're done in Australia uh, under uh, FDA or international regulatory recognised protocol. And as we move uh, through each stage, phase one, phase two, obviously, as we've mentioned on the burn wound side of things, we just follow that that, uh, traditional pathway of getting to market and uh, all indications are are, in, are good. In fact, more than encouraging in some ways. It's uh, it's all it's one thing to do it in animals in preclinical, which we did time and time again, but now we see it in humans, and and that's just great. What's known about R three twenty seven from studies that have been done to date? We we obviously uh, the, the compound is a small molecule. We've clearly identified uh, that it's uh, seven hundred and fifty daltons in size. Its bioavailability uh, when infused or, or otherwise uh, and, and the areas or places of excretion, which is primarily passed through the kidney and excreted through the urine. The PKPD, the um, uh, tolerability being the dose escalation and, um, and the interreaction between healthy cells and uh, the compound itself. The mechanism of action, how the compound uh, works and its various uh, abilities to attack or to simply ignore eukaryotic cells, because I'll be the first to say, if you've got a fungal infection, it ain't us. We're no good on fungal cells. They're very similar to healthy eukaryotic cells, and that's actually a very good thing. But you've got a bacteria, we're going to bind to it, we're going to interact with it, and uh, and that bacteria will be a thing of the past. So the traditional IND-enabling studies uh, have been completed the equivalent of an IND approval in Australian standards, which is known as an investigative brochure, has been uh, granted for, for two clinical studies. And obviously the indications we've announced from those clinical studies, which is both uh, exciting from an efficacy perspective in the topical burn wounds uh, as a, a broad spectrum capability. And of course, on the intravascular side of things to be safe and well tolerated. You have a second candidate in development that's 
R529. This is in development for the virus that causes COVID-19. Is this expected to work against all forms of the virus? Yeah, so R529, which of course, scientific journal number five, page 29, uh, is actually a a more aggressive or a a enhanced version of 327. Um, If we look to say uh, bacterial indications, and yes, this is for viral indications, but bacterial indications, it's got 10 times the, the capability against bacteria. So it's a more aggressive compound but it also has a, a particularly um, attractive or engineered binding characteristic to protein enveloped viruses. Now, it turns out that uh, COVID is a, a protein enveloped uh, or CASPIT virus, I believe is the technical term. So we've demonstrated many, many times, uh, both in vitro and in vivo to uh, have good capability against uh, COVID uh, viral cells, and of course, as our patents uh, for that family granted around the world, demonstrating capability against other emerging viral pathogens. And what's known about that from studies you've done to date? Well, we've we've certainly got a, a 99.99% reduction in the bacteria. Uh, we've utilised the compound via different methods of administration, uh, oral topic. Uh, sorry, oral. Uh, uh, nasal to get into the uh, upper uh, respiratory tract, balance to get down into the deeper passages of the uh, lungs, and also intravascular to try to attack the viral pathogen from the inside out. So yeah, look, the safety profile's fine. Uh, we're really just identifying the, the optimal method of administration. What's the path forward for 529? The path forward is really across all of our uh, com- our compounds, which are focused on a, a breadth of unmet medical need indications, is moving the compound uh, th- for whatever indication it may be through its IND enabling activities. So 529 has recently uh, completed another uh, preclinical study in hamsters. Uh, that study was done in the ne- Netherlands, in fact, and we would expect uh, the data from that study, which is building upon uh, uh, data of previous studies, to be another step towards, uh, you know, that compound getting ahead or otherwise. How is the company financed and how far will existing funding take you? We are so lucky when I come to uh, the perspective of finance. Look, frankly, it's not luck. It's strategy, perseverance and delivery on our on our objectives. We have about 6,000 shareholders. Uh, we're listed on the Australian Stock Exchange, the ASX and the Frankfurt Stock Exchange as well. But in Australia... We have this beautiful, beautiful thing called an R&D rebate. It means for every dollar we spend on research and development in Australia, we get 43.5 cents of that dollar back from the government, caveat free. It's not a loan. It's not a, you know, pay us back later. So where we have, say, you know, $20 million uh, cash, uh, which, by the way, for, for the, for, I should be more specific, we've got about $12 million dollars. Uh, US, we've really got about $20 million of true cash runway. So it reduces the dilution, dilutionary impact uh, from an equity pers- perspective for existing shareholders or all shareholders. Heck, I was the founding shareholder. I'm motivated to not dilute myself. And uh, of course, uniquely to our company, and I think above and beyond almost any other company, that 43.5 cent uh, Australian government rebate is extended for us anywhere in the world. 
So we are regularly doing a lot of our activities here in the United States and the Australian taxpayers paying 43 and a half cents for it. So it's pretty motivating. So when we look to our financial disclosures, it says something quite bizarre, like 134 quarters, quarters, not months, 134 quarters of cash, because our, uh, our, our our phase one study cost about $2 million paid for. Our burn wound study cost us nothing, sponsored by the Australian government. Our fixed monthly burn rates about 130,000 US dollars a month and our variable costs are budgeted. So as we advance through our portfolio approach and move our preclinical candidates on to become clinical candidates, our funding money is a tool and that, that capital will be deployed deployed in the interest of creating further value. So we're, we're just getting ahead with, with the funding and programs we have. James Graham, CEO of Recce Pharmaceuticals. James, thanks so much for your time today. Great speaking with you, Danny. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.